Well, good morning, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so good to be able to be with all of you um, again. Sorry, just give me one second here. You ever one of those times where you uh, feel like you're all prepared for something, then all of a sudden you just forget like the most basic thing, like putting a bookmark in your Bible? No? No one else? Just me? Awesome. Um, that's okay. We just, we just own what we do and we move forward. So uh, welcome again, everyone. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, which is what I was uh, making sure I was in the right passage um, as well. Now, what I want to do is as you're turning to 1 John 2, whether you have your a physical Bible with you, whether you're following along on the Bible app, um, we want to uh, just take the opportunity to ask a couple questions, just to, just to start thinking about this morning, that when we think about our world today and, and we think about um, a lot of difficulties that there are, we, f- we think about how there's a lot of tension, we think about division, we think about famine, we think about heartache, we think about tragedy, we think about pain, we think about loss, and you're probably thinking, wow, this is a really uplifting sermon, that's all I've got for you guys. Um, no, what I want to do is, is we think about this, and I think in all of us, we have this longing for, you know, we see the world around us, and we long for a greater world. We long for something that's, that's better. So maybe, maybe if we thought about what would a greater world look like, perhaps it's one in which everyone had enough food to eat, and there was enough water for everyone to have healthy water. You know, it's, however, the world we live in is one where uh, Zimbabwe, where I um, uh, had a missions trip in 2011, we learned that Zimbabwe was the breadbasket of Africa, had, had plenty of natural resources to provide for its people, and yet because of the corruption of the world and the corruption of the government, they would take all the resources and then they would export it to make the leaders rich and the people starve. Right? Because there's enough provision. God has provided enough, but the ways of the world and how the world works often goes contrarian and and causes us to miss out on the greater world that we've meant to have. Maybe for some of you, we think about how there's division and pain and heartache. And maybe a greater world is one where everyone, no matter where they come from, what nation they're from, what, what language they speak, their socioeconomic status, that everyone will be able to be united. That everyone will be able to be, find what we have in common rather than what divides us. Maybe for some of us, we think about a world in which um, we, we recognize that we're so devoted to technology or we're so focused on things around us that we fail to look up and see other people eye to eye. And so a, a greater world is one in which we put down our phones, we put down our, um, our constant need to produce, our constant need to uh, move forward, our constant need to... Um, uh, our constant need to just always get stuff done and we just connect with people because often the most meaningful things in our lives are not the things we get done, but the time we spend with those around us. We long for a greater world. In fact, this is something that um, came to the news. Well, we all know this, but one thing that arose uh, about 10, 11 years ago, uh, real quick by show of hands, how many of you have seen uh, the movie Avatar? Not Avatar The Last Airbender, but Avatar with like the blue Navi people. Does that sound familiar to you all? Yes, excellent. So um, uh, if you saw the movie, um, it's, I, I won't go through all of it here, but um, because it's, 
hard to explain, but there's, there's a Marine who's able to uh, get into a body of an avatar of an alien life form on the planet of Pandora, which is very far away from Earth because his twin brother was able to do it, and he was able to take his shoes, but his twin brother was a scientist. He wasn't. So all of a sudden, he's there, and he's trying to be a scientist, but he's, he's a Marine. He's a soldier. And all that to say is that he finds out, as he's trying to become like one of the Navi people, he finds out about the connection that they have with the planet of Pandora. And you see how all the, the lights at night is just absolutely beautiful. And you see how there's this connection between the people there and their nation, or excuse me, and their, um, uh, and their planet. And I bring it up because in 2010, that came out in 2009, in 2010, articles started to pop up because there were people who were depressed and even people who became suicidal. And it was this idea of recognizing that the connection or the world of Pandora, how it was beautiful and there was a greater world, a connection with uh, the, nation, the, the nature around them and people around them, that it was impossible to have that because our world was broken. And people watched that movie, saw the connection, saw the greater meaning, saw the community, saw those things, and they became depressed and suicidal because they recognized that that world was not real. And the world that we have here is broken, is divided, is filled with heartache. Now, all of us have this, this desire for something greater. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about how God has created us with eternity in our hearts. And C.S. Lewis unpacks this for us a little bit because he talks about how there is no desire that we have that does not have its proper fulfillment. So if there's a desire, if there's hunger, then there's such a thing as food to sustain us. If there's thirst, there's such a thing as water to fulfill us. If there's a desire for intimacy, there's such a thing as sex. And so within the context of marriage, there's a proper way for that to happen. And so every desire we have has a proper fulfillment. Therefore, if there's a desire in our hearts for eternity, there must be a way that that is fulfilled, but is not fulfilled as of this world. It's fulfilled in a relationship with God for eternity. Now, why do we spend this time unpacking desires and, and the world and what that looks like? And we do so because today we're talking about pursuing a greater world. What does it look like for us to long for not a fake world like Pandora, but long for the very real, the truest world is not the one that we step foot on now. It's the one that in a relationship with God, we get to be in eternity with him forever. This, we have our, our decades of time. But in eternity, in life everlasting, we have untold infinite amount of time. So which world is more real? Which world ought we pursue? And which world are we going to dive into more today? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you are here, that you created and you formed this world. And we are thankful for how you've created it and how you formed it and how you spoke it in the beginning, into, into, into being in the beginning. Excuse me. Father, I pray that you would speak to your creation now. Speak to us as people that you've created and formed and that you shaped us and you breathe life into us. Help us to draw near to you this morning, whether we're here in, in person or whether we're here watching online or whether we're watching online or listening to the podcast later, Lord, I pray that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way for each and every one of us. May I decrease and may you increase. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at 1 John chapter 2, 
We're going to just look at three verses today, verse 15, 16, and 17. And what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to read it in the NIV, but then I'm going to speak out of it more out of the English Standard Version. And I'll explain why in a moment. But here's what the NIV says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, I'm going to reread that in the English Standard Version, and I want to see um, if I want to point out the difference of word choice and why I did that. So here's what 1 John 2.15 in the ESV says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not much of a difference there. So the difference will come in verse 16. But here's what I want to do is because if, if, if you have familiarity with the Bible, you know that God created the world and he said it was good. That Jesus came and so for God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So we see the word world used as a very positive thing. And yet here in verse John 2, it's incredibly clear. It's do not love the world or the things in the world. Does that mean do not love earth? Does that mean do not love the people? What does that look like? So there are five different ways the word world is used uh, in the New Testament. And specifically, John uses many of them in his writings. And so we're going to briefly unpack these so it provides hopefully some clarity as to the point John is making in his letter here um, into, um, as he's speaking to believers. He says the first one is the definition of world is the universe created by God, which entails design and order. It's, it's the fact that he holds the universe in the span of his hands, that he knows every star by name, and that he knows and he created and he formed every planet, every galaxy, every solar system, the entire universe that he knows that he created. That, and that word world can be referred to the created order, to the universe overall, to all of creation is the word world. So that's not the meaning that John's talking about. He's not saying do not love the world, do not love creation, do not love the planets. Because if you go out on a starlit night when you get away from the ambient light um, here in the city, and you just get to look, it, it stirs up awe in us. Romans 1 tells us how when we, there is no one who is with excuse because when you see the creation, it's divine and eternal qualities make it clear that there is a God. So we're not talking about that one. Number two, the way that it can be referred to is the planet Earth, the actual planet that we live on. When we talk about how, you know, he formed, he created the world. And so that's the idea of we, we, that's not what he's talking about. We're not talking about how not loving earth, right? One way that we can uh, be good stewards of the world is, is or excuse me, one way that we could show love for God is to be good stewards of the world and its resources. So it's not talking about the planet earth. The third one is mankind. It can be referred to as mankind. That's where we get John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. He loved the people of the world so much that he gave up his only son that whoever would believe in him would, have perish, would not perish and would have eternal life. Well, clearly he's not saying do not love mankind because the very 
creation of mankind and the very embodiment of Jesus coming down shows God's ultimate love for the people, for mankind, for the world, which entails the people. So he's not talking about that here in 1 John. The fourth one is the idea of the human, this is a little bit more convoluted, the human existence in the present life. So in other words, when it refers to experiences of the world, possessions of the world, emotions of the world, when it, when you, whenever you hear the word of, oh, it's part of the human experience, right? Or you, it's, it's part of just the way of the world. It's, in, it's what you normally would, ex, would um, experience in the world. The last part didn't make sense. I just repeated myself slower. It's okay. Um, but here's the thing. It's this idea of saying that all of human experience, all of the emotions that we feel, that is part of us as created beings on this created world, on this created earth. And so he's not talking about hating all the emotions that we have. He's not talking about hating all the experiences that we're going to have. He's not talking about this one either. So we've looked at four ways of the the definitions of the word world that John is not referring to specifically in this passage. So let's turn our attention to the fifth one, the one on which we will rest and focus today. Because the fifth definition of the world is the world order that is alienated from God. What I referred to earlier, how there is just, because of our sinful nature, there is a a world order that we pursue, perhaps if we don't have a relationship with God, we pursue our own uh, self-aggrandizement. We pursue our own um, wealth at the expense of others. We, We trample others on the way up the corporate ladder, or we push others down so that we could make more, or it's the ways of the world that are directly alienated from God. This is the definition, uh, excuse me, John is referring to. Because he's saying, do not love the ways of the world that are directly opposed to God. Because if we love the ways of the world, the, the, the nature that causes us to put ourselves above others, the way in which we deplete and discourage and distract and tear down, if we do those things, then we are following in the ways of the world. So if you were to use the example of, um, you know, fish going downstream, and if that's the way of the world, that's just going exactly contrary of the direction that a salmon swimming upstream is called to do. The idea that that's the way of the world, that broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, as Jesus says. See, there is a way around us that if we allow a, a, an opening in our hearts to love the world— then the love of the Father, the way he calls us to live, is going to be so diametrically opposed, we're going to have tension. This, this is akin to what we talked about in last series, uh, in the series called Pull Up, or the sermon called Pull Up a Chair. The, the idea that we can have devoted followers, we can have divided followers, and we can have people who are distant. But the divided one, where we have one foot in the world and one foot following the Lord, and thinking that we could straddle. That line, when in reality is, if you have any foot in the world, you cannot have the love of the Father fully in you. Jesus refers to this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, the idea that you cannot, if you have two masters, you may love one or hate the other, or you will start to serve one and despise the other. He's referring, he says, you cannot love both God and mammon, or God and money. And that same diametrically opposed division happens if we try to love God and the world evenly, or even letting the door open so that 
the world can have its way with us. James 4.4 4 says it this way. He refers to that, that fifth definition of the world here. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Why is it important for us to unpack the definitions that we did earlier? Because if you read that James 4.4 verse and you thought that the world just meant the people of the world, then you might justify hating people or separating from people who don't love God. And that's not what we're called to do. You may say that, oh, I can't be a friend with someone who doesn't know Jesus because that means I would become a friend of the world and now I will be on the bad path or I'll, I'll fall short. Now, does bad company corrupt good character? Yes. Are we called to make sure that we are not unequally yoked with non-believers? Yes. But are we still called to be a light to people in a dark world? Yes. Are we still called to extend friendship with those who are far from God? Yes. And did Jesus model that when he came from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger to a dark and depraved generation in order to extend the hand of friendship with a world that was far from God? And did he extend that hand so greatly that it went all the way across from the, the cross so that our sins could be as far as the east or from the west? Yes. See, we're not called to isolate, segregate, or separate from the world. We're not called to assimilate and be just like the world. We're called to permeate the world and to build relationships with those far from God, to point them to the hope and the power and the love of the gospel so that more people would come to know Jesus and eternal life. So we're called to love the world mankind love the created order of things, love the planet Earth, love the, home, the, the, the human experiences, while not loving the created or the alienated order, the way of the world that is diametrically opposed to the Lord. Let's go to 1 John 2, verse 16 in the ESV. And here's where the word difference is that I wanted to unpack. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The key word that I changed there, excuse me, I didn't change, but I wanted to flesh out there is the word desires. Because in the NIV, instead of the word desires, it uses the word lust. And when we think of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, we often only go towards this idea of sexual desire or a sexual lust. Is that part of it? Yes. But is that all of the desires of the flesh that we experience? No. So removing the word lust for a moment and choosing to, to the translation of desires, because desires is just an intense craving for something. That as C.S. Lewis, we talked about, there are desires in us that are good desires, that God-infused desires that have a proper fulfillment or a proper way to experience them. The problem is when we have a proper desire and we try to fulfill it in an improper way, a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. And so I wanted to remove the word lust and focus on desires because a desire of the flesh, does that entail lust? Yes, of course it does. But it can entail any fleshly desire of our fleshly body. So it could also entail gluttony, right? The idea of the flesh just needing to, be, needing to eat. But Paul talks about how 
people far from God, often their God is their stomach. The Philippians 3, they, they point to how their God is how they, just what they want to consume and, and how they fill their bellies or how they fill their desires and fulfill them in a way that food isn't just fuel, food is comfort or whatever it may be. So the first idea of desires of the flesh can include lust, absolutely, the sexual lust. It can also include gluttony. It can also include any of these things where it's our fleshly nature and desiring that so much that we pursue that over pursuing God. The second word is, again, not lust of the eyes, but desires of the eyes. Because desire of the eyes, if we, if we use the word of lust of the eyes, again, we might just take that as what we see that we shouldn't. Which, again, is that part of it? Yes. But is that all of it? Because lust of, the, lust of the eyes can include all those things. It can also include envy, that we see something that someone else has, and instead of being grateful for what we received, we start to get frustrated and compare. Lust of the eyes can also include greed of any kind, always looking more, always wanting more, and never being satisfied with enough. That Paul tells us that he knows how to be content, whether in need or in plenty, and C.H. Spurgeon in his Mornings and Evenings devotional, and the Mornings devotional on February 12th talks about how it's much harder to know how to be content when we have plenty. It's harder to know how to be content when we abound. Because what often happens is that we lose sight of heaven because we're fixing on what we have on earth. See, lust of the eyes or desires of the eyes includes what we allow ourselves to watch, what we allow ourselves to listen to, Yes, it does. It also includes the greed. It also includes covetedness or, or envy. It includes things that we allow because Jesus talks about how the eyes are the lamp of the body. It is through the eyes that we start to have our hearts get um, desirous for something or desiring something that we shouldn't. So we need to guard our eyes. As Job 31.1 talks about that, yeah, we want to, Make a covenant with our eyes not to look lustfully upon a girl is what he says, but it's also make a covenant with our eyes not to allow anything that we desire through our eyes to cause us to love the world. Because again, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. There are no shades of gray. It's black and white. Have we let the world penetrate into our thinking, into our lives? And then the last one is the pride of life. The pride of life, that word life is the word bios, so it, it, you know, biology, the study of life, but it can also be translated in some of your versions as pride and riches. And so this idea of not just having a lot of money, but the pride that comes from that. It's the example that Jesus says when he is uh, talking about the parable of the man who wants to build bigger barns. He says, look at all this stuff I have. I'll build a bigger barn and I'll fill it with more stuff. And then all of a sudden, that night, that man dies. And it's like, what, what was the point? How, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? In my devotional this morning, I was listening about how one of the top things when people search for houses is that people want to make sure there's a lot of closet space and then it has a garage. Not because there's cars, because the cars get to sleep on the outside. The stuff gets to stay on the inside. Right? We have a lot of stuff. Do we take pride in 
the life that we think we've made for ourselves, that we are self-made men and women. My previous senior pastor up in um, San Dimas talked about how we always want to claim that we're self-made men, but which part of yourself did you actually make? Which gifts did you come up with? Which way did, were you forming yourself as opposed to God giving us gifts, God forming and shaping us? So therefore, God gets the glory. See, if we have lust or desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life, all of those things take us away from loving the Father. And so let's go back to this idea of a greater world in the beginning. If we're desiring that, if we desire to have a greater world, while pursuing it through the desires of the world, how is that going to work? A few uh, weeks ago, I went, um, some of you know that I have a hobby that I do called geocaching, and it's nerdy and fantastic. And so if you ever just see me on a street corner, like looking inside of a bush, just know that it's totally normal. Don't worry about it. Um, But there's one where it takes you to do, like there's some that you take you to just really cool locations. And so one of them, it took me to uh, the San Diego Air and Space Museum, the Gillespie Annex, which is in El Cajon, which is a fancy way of saying it has a lot of really cool planes. Um, and as I was there, if you guys are following along in the Bible app, you could scroll down. Um, as I was there, I looked and I saw a VW bug or I saw a car that just had like wings on top of it. And it was just, it was just a funny picture to me. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously that's not going to fly. Obviously that's not going to work, but it was a cool picture. And so I actually didn't take the picture. Um, the one that's there, I, I uh, found that one online, but it paints this picture of how sometimes If anyone thought that that was actually going to fly, then they're obviously in for a rude awakening. And likewise, in the same way, if any of us are trying to fly while being outfitted with the car of the ways of this world, we will be in for a rude awakening. That literally won't fly. So, If we want to pursue a greater world, a world in which there is no division, a world in which there is no heartache or pain, where there are no tears, a world in which there's enough food for everyone's daily bread, a world in which there's enough water to sustain, a world in which that which divides us falls to the wayside and that's what unites us is what draws our eyes to the Lord. If we want to have a greater world where connection with those around us is strong and we want to be able to have community and we've designed for that, if we're trying to pursue a greater greater world and we do it through the model of the ways of the world that's the order alienated from God it will not work it will not fly so what I want to point out or I want to close with as we kind of come near here is verse 17 so then it says and the world is passing away along with its desires But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the ways of the world don't last. Now you might say, well, greed and gluttony and pride and pursuit of riches, those are all things that that have lasted since the beginning of time. To which, yes, you're right, because our sinful nature is ingrained on each and every one of us, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that there is none who are righteous, no, not one. And often, even our well-intentioned desires to do the right thing, if 
done through the modes of the world can often end up with the wrong thing. But if we want to live for a greater world, instead of getting depressed like those who watched Avatar and felt like that world's impossible, so um, it's depressing to know that world doesn't exist. Friends, let me tell you, that world does exist. It's not Pandora that you need to fly across space for years and years. It's, it's a world eternal life with God. And eternal life, as John 17, 3 says, is not just when we die, we get to go to heaven. John 17, 3 defines eternal life, saying that this is eternal life, that they know the Father and the Son who was sent by him. Knowing Jesus is the start of eternal life, not dying. So we can still live and have eternal life here on earth, but we're still surrounded by an, a world that is alienated from God. So we are going to struggle. We're going to be as, as people who are sojourners in a foreign land, as tent makers who are living in an earthly tent rather than knowing there's a, a home, a mansion in heaven for us, that God, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. So if we want to abide in him forever, live with him forever, then we need to unpack our pursuit of a greater world, of following and seeking heaven. If we're trying to do that in the mode of the world, it will not fly. So let's unpack this together. You could follow along on the Bible app or you could um, follow along on the screens if you're watching from home. That verse 15, 16, and 17 start to paint a pattern for whether we live according to the world or whether we live according to the Father. And, and each verse builds on itself in a contrast in order to show, as our series is called Greater Than, in order to show that the love of the Father pursuing God is greater than pursuing the world. And so verse 15, if you follow the world, um, as it says, do not love the world for the things of the world. And so if you love the world, verse 16 says that your desires come from the world. And then verse 17 points out that the world is passing away. So if our main desire is loving the world around us, the, 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 the ways of the world, the modes of the world, if that's our greatest desire, and that's where our desires come from, then in the end, that will ultimately lead us to following something that will pass away, that won't last and then we'll look back on our lives and say, I put in so much blood, sweat, and tears for something that ended up falling to the wayside. As you hear, people on their deathbeds don't say, I wish I got more projects done at work. I regret that I didn't make more money. I regret these things. What they say is I regret not spending more time with family. I regret that I lived for something that ultimately wouldn't last beyond me. So what's the contrast of that? What, what, what's the comparison there? And the comparison is if you look at verse 15, 16, and 17 with the Father as our ultimate destination. So then verse 15 talks about love of the Father, means that our desires then come from the Father. And then verse 17 says that the one who obeys God remains or abides forever. If we were just to tell you, ask you right now, do you want to dedicate your life to something that's going to pass away when you pass away? Or do you want to dedicate your life to something that allows you to live forever in a world that is a greater world than the one in which we live now? 
what would you say? There's a, Andy Stanley talks about the principle of the path. I've brought it up several times in sermons over the past couple of years because it's an impactful statement that I think um, that all of us, myself included, need to be reminded of. The principle of the path says this, that it's direction, not intention, determines our destination. I'll say it again. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. So let's say that my family and I, we, we get in the car and we're, we are ready to go to the Grand Canyon. We have everything packed. We know that we're in for about a seven and a half hour drive if we drove straight. But anyone who's had kids know that that takes at least 87% longer. Um, and so, you know, we're in for a full day's drive. We're going to have movies set on the iPad because, yes, on long drives, we are parents that put movies on iPads. We've got to survive too. So um, we go on this drive and we're ready to go. And instead of heading east, we head west. We're ready for a seven and a half hour drive. And then 47 minutes later, 37 minutes later, we're standing at the beach. And we're shocked because we're saying, well, we're ready for the Grand Canyon. We want to go to the Grand Canyon. We packed for the Grand Canyon. Our intention was for the Grand Canyon. So then we end up shocked that our feet are standing, hitting with the ocean, lapping up against them rather than standing, looking over the Grand Canyon. Why? Well, because our intention may have been to go to the Grand Canyon. Our intention may have been to go east on the 8 and just head back to, to Arizona. But our direction, not our intention, will determine our destination. So if we're facing west, no matter how much we want to say we want to go east, we cannot be surprised when we end at the ocean rather than the canyon. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Andy Stanley said that. He has a book called The Principle of the Path. Um, I highly recommend it. But for our point today, if our destination is a greater world and our intention is to get and pursue this greater world, but our direction is only facing in the ways of the world, that we're going downstream when we're called to go upstream, then we shouldn't be shocked when our destination is far from where we had intended. We can't be standing at the ocean and confused while we're not at the canyon because every opportunity we have to turn around and we don't, we're missing reallocating and pursuing a greater world. And so friends, as we close today, we unpack this idea that we do not want to conform to the patterns of this world. But we want to experience the, the will of the Father, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And every day, if our direction is going west, even though we know we want to go east, if our direction is towards the ways of the world, even though we know we want to pursue a greater world, every day, every moment is an opportunity for us to U-turn. We get off on the on-ramp, off-ramp. We turn back around and we head back in the direction of God. In biblical terms, this idea is just the idea of repentance, that we repent, that we go one direction and then we make a complete U-turn and start going in the other direction. Every day, every moment, this moment is an opportunity for us to repent, to turn around, to realign ourselves 
with the direction that we want to live. Not according to the world that is alienated from God and its order, but towards the God who created the universe with design and order. Not the way of the world that is summed up in how mankind treats one another, but the greater world that Jesus came down to save mankind and provide eternal life. See, we all have this opportunity today in this moment to turn around and to pursue a greater world that does exist. It's pursuing Jesus and living for him, recognizing that we are sojourners in a foreign land, but then recognizing that when we pass from this world to the next, we will spend eternity in the greatest world that anyone could ever imagine. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, Lord, you formed us and you've given us life on this world, Lord, and it's not perfect. And there is brokenness, there is heartache, there is pain. And Lord, in many ways, that heartache and brokenness and pain point us to the need for a greater world. That you put eternity into our hearts so that we wouldn't live for this world alone. God, I pray right now for anyone who's watching online, anyone who's listening online, that they don't feel like they can be removed from the moment of call to repentance, Lord. That maybe some of them are half distracted, as I know I can be when I'm online. And so God, call them back, hearken them back to this moment. That now is the time, today is the day, and to seize the moment to repent and reallocate our lives towards living towards a greater world. For those of us who are here, may we not leave this place. If you are stirring within us, Holy Spirit, may we not mute you in our lives and refuse to follow you. But instead, Lord, may we listen and heed and obey and turn around to pursue you first and foremost, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you that you loved the world the mankind, including broken people like us, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, life knowing you forever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.